0: I think we'll go ahead and get started. So let's uh, stand and ask the Lord's blessing on our time of study. We come to thee, thou who art the light of the world and has enlightened our minds, that we might behold the glory of Christ as it is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. We ask that thou would instruct and teach us uh, in the ways in which we should uh, walk. Uh, Show us thy truth, Uh, teach us, we ask. Cleanse us of our sins as we approach thee, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The focus of our study will be from John 8 verses 21 through 26 but we're going to just pick up in our reading at verse 12 John 8 12 and then read through verse 26 then spake Jesus again unto them saying I am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but He that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So by way of just a very quick review in verses 12 through 15, actually 12 through 20, but uh, in 12 through 15, uh, Jesus condemns uh, the darkness of the heart of these religious leaders because Uh, of the false judgment that they had brought upon the woman that was taken in adultery. They had entrapped her and they had brought her for Jesus to make some kind of judgment against her. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's basically saying, uh, you people are in darkness. Uh, I have truth, I have righteousness, and the, the judgment that I rendered in regard to this woman is faithful and is true. So he's revealed their wicked conspiracy. And in verses 16 through 20, which we just read as well, by way of review, Jesus continued his defense of his testimony concerning himself, that he was the Son of God sent by the Father. And he declared to these Jewish religious leaders that the record that he bore concerning himself was Faithful and true. He said he was the Son of God. He said, uh, The Father sent me. And he says in verse 16, uh, And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. He had just said in verse 15, Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. That is, I judge no man after the flesh. Ye judge after the flesh, but I judge no man after the flesh. That That little parenthetical um, statement, I think, needs to be added at the end of that because Jesus, as we've already noted, did come to judge when he came, even the first time. But he says he's not the only one that bears record uh, concerning himself or testimony. Uh, He goes on to say that in the Old Testament, just as the Old Testament required two or three witnesses, human witnesses, credible witnesses, to confirm uh, that which was faithful and that which is true, so he has two faithful, credible witnesses. Uh, and those passages in the Old Testament are Deuteronomy 17:6 and Deuteronomy 1915. And so his two witnesses are himself, the Son of God. He's the first witness, and the Father who sent him is the second witness so the Lord concluded that section by saying that the reason they did not truly uh, know with saving faith the Father was because they did not know with saving faith the Son. Uh, Without knowing Jesus, they could not know the Father. Uh, And so uh, this was uh, absolutely necessary, Jesus says. That's the reason you don't know uh, the Father. That's the reason... Uh, you profess to know the Father, but you can't get to the Father but through me. I'm the door. So anybody who talks about knowing God without going through Jesus Christ uh, is ignorant or is lying, uh, but certainly doesn't understand uh, that they cannot uh, come to the Father but through the Son. Uh, Jesus uh, says in John 10, 9, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So he's the door. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the father, but by me. So that's all by way of review. So let's look at uh, this new section in John 8, verses 21 through 26 which we've already read. But verse 21 says, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. So this is uh, from what we read in verse 20. This is spoken in the temple. Uh, He had apparently a brief pause from what he had been saying, and then he resumes in verse 21, Then said Jesus again. So now he resumes his teaching in the temple on the same day. Uh, even if he had taken a brief pause, he's continuing. He's res- resuming his teaching of them. The theme that uh, Jesus presses upon the people is one which he had touched upon before, uh, earlier, uh, previously, the day before, in John seven, verses thirty-three through thirty-four. So, this, as I said, is the teaching of Jesus the day before, in the temple. Then said Jesus unto them, "Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto Him that sent me." Verse thirty-four, John seven thirty-four. Ye shall seek me. And shall not find me and where I am thither ye cannot come. And so we had looked at that in John 7:34 already. And here he picks up that same theme when he says, "I go my way." this is John 8:21, "I go my way, and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins, whither I go ye cannot come." Now, though Jesus here does not explain in any detail what he means by, I go my way, he's basically referring to his death, uh, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Father. He's mentioning that going, this, this going, so that when it happens, when he goes, uh, they will have testimony, they will know that what Jesus had said came to pass. So Jesus sat, sadly, Jesus testifies to many here in the audience, uh, there in the temple, who were listening to his instruction, uh, that they would look for him. They would seek him, but they would not find him. They would die in their sins, is what Jesus says in verse twenty one. Especially, this was to be the case after all of the events surrounding uh, Christ's death, resurrection. Um, there would be no doubt much buzz about. Did you hear about Jesus? Um, he was crucified. Uh, there's probably very few people as as well known or popular as far as uh, having a name recognition in Jerusalem as as much as Jesus did, and so. Uh, That would have gotten around very quickly, uh, that Jesus was crucified, uh, that, uh, again, the word concerning his resurrection, even if the Pharisees were seeking to say, no, he wasn't raised, uh, the the disciples came by night and stole the body. Uh, Nevertheless, that was being circulated uh, throughout Jerusalem, uh, that he was raised from the dead, and then when his ascension occurred, that likewise, no doubt, was circulated Uh, throughout Jerusalem. But sadly, this is the the sad part, their seeking would be in vain. They would seek for him, but they would seek for him in vain. It would not be a seeking in faith, but a seeking that would actually lead to their dying uh, in their sins. It was a seeking simply to satisfy their own curiosity. And for that reason, because it wasn't a seeking in faith and trust and looking to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, Jesus says they shall die in their sins. The promise of God is that there is a kind of seeking uh, which leads to finding the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. And ye shall seek me, and find me when ye search for me with all your heart. From Jeremiah uh, we read. But the seeking uh, that is effectual, of which Jeremiah speaks, is a seeking which comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to come from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not generated. It's not a kind of seeking that's just generated by way of curiosity wanting to know certain information, that's not the effectual seeking that leads to finding Jesus Christ. Uh, Because uh, Romans chapter 3 says, no one seeks for God. Uh, Due to the depravity of man, due to the corruption of man, no one truly seeks for God until the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates, causes a person to be born again, and to give to them life, and to give to them faith, uh, to give to them those holy affections and desires to seek for Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who will truly find him. So there may be many uh, today uh, who are seeking Jesus for a thrill. Uh, there may be those who are seeking Jesus for a healing There may be those who are seeking Jesus for various human needs, uh, peace, comfort, help, guidance, many, many different reasons that people may seek for Jesus, but are not necessarily. I'm not saying that those who may be looking for peace may not actually find Jesus, but if that's all they're seeking for, and coming to Jesus. They may entirely miss Jesus. They may not find him. Um, because they're not seeking. For the savior. They're not seeking for a savior. To forgive sin. They're not seeking. Knowing that they are sinners. They're lost. They're under God's condemnation. They're not seeking Jesus. To be savior. They're not seeking Jesus. To be the Lord of their lives. And, again, um, seeking for all of these human needs without seeking Jesus as Savior to forgive sin and as Lord to whom they can submit is to be seeking not effectually, but is to be seeking ineffectually. The effectual seeker... The effectual seeker, the seeker uh, in uh, whom that effectual work of the Holy Spirit is manifested, is supernaturally drawn uh, by the Father to the Son. Uh, John six forty four. 44, uh, the Lord Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Indeed, Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our comforter. Jesus is our guide to direct our paths when we feel lost. But he must first, dear ones, he must first be sought as savior. He must first be sought as savior from our sins. If our need in this world does not drive us to Jesus as Savior and as Lord, um, we will not find Him. We will not find Him. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. The tragedy the tragedy here is not that people have sinned, because that's the qualification of coming to Christ, is that we're sinners. The tragedy here that Jesus speaks of is that they die in their sins without repentance, without forgiveness. Jesus does not even distinguish here between big sins and little sins. They die in big sins. No, they die in sin. They may die in what the world considers to be little sins. Uh, but even one so-called little sin is enough to condemn one to eternal hell Uh, because God the Father, because God is a righteous judge. He cannot excuse sin at all. Every sin must be paid for, either by the person who has sinned for all eternity in hell, or by Jesus Christ, who bears the sins of his people. Jesus died to remove the guilt and the condemnation of all his elect. The end of this tragedy, Jesus says, is that, is that they will not be able to go to heaven where he is going. He says... Uh, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Uh, the cannot is, you're not able. Um, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and ye are not able because you will die in your sins. They'll spend all eternity in hell because they died in their sins. Let us die, dear ones, in any other condition. Let us die in pain. Let us die in heartache. Uh, Let us die in poverty. Let us die in persecution. But let us not die in unforgiven sin and under the wrath of God and under God's condemnation. Let us not die in that state. Verse 22, John eight twenty-two. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go ye cannot come. When Jesus had spoken the day before, in John chapter 7, there in the temple about going where they could not follow, particularly in John 7:34, which we had just looked at a moment ago, the religious leaders the previous day questioned among themselves whether Jesus was saying that he was going to preach uh, and teach among the Jews of the dispersion in verse 35. If you recall, they said, after Jesus said in verse 34, ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come, verse 35, John seven thirty-five. Then said the Jews among themselves, whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? <clears throat> but when Jesus, in John 8, mentions... Uh, the same thing. Whether I go, you cannot come. The Jewish religious leaders question whether Jesus meant he was going to commit suicide. Uh, that they couldn't follow because he was going to kill himself. He's going to commit suicide. These Jewish religious leaders. What's so ironic? These these Jewish religious leaders were already plotting how they might kill him how they might destroy him. So, in effect, they impute to Jesus what they themselves were plotting and planning to do in their own hearts. How often does it happen that those who speak the loudest about the sins and corruptions of others very often are the very ones who are involved in some hidden and secret sin And this is, again, pure hypocrisy. Like those who brought the woman taken in adultery, bringing her forward and acting so righteous and holy and setting her before Jesus, and yet uh, their sin was far more aggravated than even her sin by virtue of their plotting and planning and entrapping her in that particular sin. Verse 23, John 8, 23. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. The Lord Jesus here uh, convicts the religious leaders as being from Uh, the corruptible world beneath having only a worldly perspective, worldly desires, uh, worldly ambitions, worldly possessions, worldly relations, worldly gods and lovers of this world. Whereas he says concerning himself that he is from heaven above, having just the opposite, having a heavenly perspective, having heavenly desires, heavenly ambitions, heavenly possessions, heavenly relations, and one heavenly God and Father. The same kind of a contrast is drawn by the Apostle Paul between uh, heaven above and earth beneath in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 2 Colossians 3, 1 through 2 the Apostle Paul says if ye then be risen with Christ that is by way of your union with Jesus Christ you've been raised to new life if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So set your 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 affections, your desires, uh, your ambitions on heavenly things. We live in the world. We live on this earth. uh, But we are, again, not to live. This is not to be the end of our life. This is not how we are to um, structure our life around simply earthly things. Uh, Our life is, as Christians, to be built upon a foundation, built upon a foundation which all brings glory to God so that whether it's our desires our ambitions, whether it is uh, our possessions, whether it's our relations with other people, uh, our job whatever it may be uh, that we have so devoted ourselves and committed ourselves that we can say I've set, even though I'm involved in all of these things here upon the earth, my affections uh, my hope Uh, My reason and purpose for living is not here upon the earth. Um, These are all just means that God has given to me in order to glorify him, in order to to be able better to uh, expose Christ and show forth Christ as the light of the world to to others. If that's not the end, and not just just, uh, by way of just a general profession, but if we do not really consider and think about and meditate upon the end of our possessions, the end of our house, the end of owning a house, or the end of, um, of a bank account, or the end of whatever we're talking about, our, our family, if we do not consciously think that the end of that is the glory of Christ, then we're not setting our affections upon Christ. We're not setting our affections upon him. Our affections are here upon the earth. And I would would also uh, go on to say that an evidence of our faith in Jesus Christ is that we will not be popular. We'll not be very popular uh, with the world according to what Jesus says, for example, in John 15, verses 8 through 19. 18 through 19. Jesus says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Doesn't, it, it, it's, Jesus is not saying that the world hates us because we're rude. Uh, the world hates us because we're hateful. Uh, the world hates us because we're cruel. Uh, but because we don't think the same way as the world. We don't talk the same way as the world. We don't act the same way as the world, and because we won't join with them, the world hates us. The world despises us as it, the world hated and despised the Lord Jesus. We don't want the same things that the world wants. We don't desire the same things that the world desires So let us not forget uh, the sobering words of the Apostle John, for example, in 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Again, very, very sobering words. Where are our affections? Where are our true desires? If they are anchored in the world, and if we are not consciously seeking to glorify God in all that God has given to us, then. We are loving the world. That's where our heart is, and Jesus says in Matthew 6:21, "Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." James 4:4, 4, 4, I think, even uh, sounds even stronger than what John says in First John. Two fifteen, James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When our closest friendships, our closest relationships are with the people of the world, even relation relations um, family members that's closer than our relationship with Christ closer than our relationship with our covenant family when um, the possessions of this world uh, are nearer and dearer to us than what we have in Jesus Christ uh, and what the Lord has laid up for us in the glories of heaven Uh, again um, The Lord says through James, uh, we're adulterers and adulteresses. Uh, We are cheating on the Lord. We are being unfaithful to him. They have become our lover rather than Jesus being the lover of our soul. How we have to be so careful. And especially, we need to be careful uh, when we have more than enough when we're poverty stricken uh, it's certainly possible that you know those those people can want what they don't have and so you know they can they can covet and that type of thing and so they can still have that sin of wanting even though they don't possess it but those who do possess the things of this world really we need to be Taking inventory in our hearts uh, every day, lest we become adulterers and adulteresses. John eight twenty four. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. The first reason Jesus gives as to why the Jewish religious leaders would die in their sins was because uh, they were of the world and not from above, not of above, not of heaven. They were not born uh, again. Uh, Because when we are born again, the Lord gives us new life Uh, He sets us free. He delivers us from this wicked, evil world in which we live, the the things of this world we have. We were previously to our uh, regeneration. Uh, We were, again, connected. Uh, We uh, we desired the things of this world. That was what we lived for. But when one becomes a Christian, uh, the Lord... Teaches, the apostles teach that we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, we recognize now, is not here upon the earth. It's in heaven. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1, 4, beginning with verse 3, then reading verse 4, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, that he might deliver us uh, from our bondage and from our following and making this world with all its glittering, with all of the the promises that the world makes um, of of, uh, happiness Um, all of the promises that come our way from the world, uh, we have been delivered um, from that through the death of Jesus Christ, Paul says. So that's the first reason Jesus gives as to why the Jewish religious leaders would die in their sins was because they were of the world. They had not been delivered from this world Um, uh, rather than being of heaven, born again. The second reason, in John 8, 24, the second reason Jesus gives as to why the Jewish religious leaders would die in their sins was because they did not believe that he was the great I Am. They did not believe he was the Son of God. Uh, Notice verse 24, John 8, 24. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, he, notice he is in italics, it's not in the text. So Jesus is saying, For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the great I am, if you do not believe, that I am the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, revealing myself as Jehovah God, then you will die in your sins. So we see here, Jesus makes very clear that uh, those cults um, that uh, profess to believe that Jesus is uh, the Son of God... uh, that the Father sent him, but they do not understand by Jesus being the Son of God that he is God the Son. The Son of God means that he has the nature of God, just as he is the Son of man means he has the nature of man. And so, uh, if they do not believe this, they will die in their sins. It is absolutely necessary to believe that Jesus is divine. Uh, that he is not of uh, a similar substance and essence with the Father, but he is of the same uh, essence and substance with the Father. One God, one divine nature. Three distinct persons in the Godhead, but one divine nature. Continuing on verse 25... Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Funny question. Uh, Who art thou? They had asked in the previous chapter, uh, Where are you from? You know. Uh, but now they ask, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. <clears throat> Here it's really clear that uh, they were not truly seeking to know who Jesus was, to ask this question. Uh, it's not a sincere question. Who art thou? Um, that's why Jesus doesn't answer it. Um, and I think likewise in our in various situations, when people do not ask serious and sincere questions, do we have an obligation to answer them? I don't think so. I think that uh, you know we should want to be helpful to people. We should want to guide people in the paths of truth and righteousness. But people who are not asking sincere questions. Are not looking for sincere answers um, they're either trying to entrap trying to uh, set us up uh, as they were with Jesus Jesus didn't answer very often they asked questions and he either responded with another question or he didn't answer them he didn't answer the question when they said who art thou uh, he didn't say well I am this and I am that he just said I am I am Jehovah God. Who art thou? You know, again, uh, their spiritual ears are completely uh, closed. They don't want to hear. They were only likely seeking evidence that might be used against uh, Jesus later on. Uh, that was, it would appear the only reason they asked, who art thou? And so Jesus rather than answering their question, just told them that he was the same that he said, had said about himself from the very beginning of his ministry. So, you know, his answer was, oh, I've already told you who I am. Go back to the beginning of my ministry and, uh, and uh, there you'll find your answer to who I am. John fifteen twenty seven. Lord Jesus says and ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me uh, from the beginning the word beginning uh, what Jesus uses in verse 25 even the same that I said unto you from the beginning the beginning of what well I think it's the beginning of his ministry just as I read in verse John fifteen twenty-seven, 27 um, ye speaking to the disciples have been with me from the beginning the beginning of my ministry. Likewise, in John 16, 4, Jesus says, But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. And so uh, the beginning of what? The beginning of his ministry. So Jesus basically says, Go back to the beginning of my ministry. I'm not saying anything different than I've always said about myself. And then verse 26. We'll close on this verse. Jesus says, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Jesus always, always spoke the truth. Uh, But he did not always speak all of the truth that he might have spoken on any particular occasion. He always said what was right, what was faithful, and what was true. But he didn't, in every occasion, say all that he could have said about the truth. This is specifically one of those occasions uh, that he did not give them He says, I have many things to say. I have many things to say and to judge of you. Well, why did he say them? Why didn't he say all the truth? Why didn't he speak all that that was uh, available uh, to them? Uh, He, again, I think makes very clear uh, they wouldn't have heard it. It would have become even more testimony that would condemn them, that they would be responsible for. And so he did not give them more at that point because they didn't want it. They didn't truly really want to receive it. It would have again been uh, truth that would further aggravate their sin. The Lord Jesus, and I want to end on this thought uh, in just to explore this thought a little with you. The Lord Jesus is declaring here his divine right as the Son of God sent by the Father to speak whatever the Father has revealed he should speak when he says, but he that sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So Jesus is declaring his divine right Uh, to speak what is true Uh, and I think it's very important by way of application to ourselves we also have a divine right not because we ourselves are divine like Jesus is divine but we have a divine right to speak the truth because our right to speak the truth comes from God, it doesn't come from a government, it doesn't come from any human institution. No human institution gives us the right to speak the truth. God gives us that right to speak the truth. We need to understand clearly that our rights, our rights come from God not for man. The government that God has established is supposed to, as the minister of God to us for good, they are, to, they are to protect the rights that God has given to us. They are not the giver of those rights. So we have a divine right to speak what is faithful and what is true according to God's word, and no one has a right from God at all to speak what is false or what is contrary to God's word. No one has a right to speak what is contrary to God's word. God never gave anybody the right to speak What is error? What is heresy? What is false doctrine? What is contrary to the word of God? And so the concept of freedom of speech, from a biblical perspective, the concept of freedom of speech is the freedom to fulfill our duty to speak the truth. That's what it is, according to the scripture. That's what true freedom of speech is. It is our duty to speak the truth. Our, our right and our duty to speak what is faithful, what is in agreement with God's truth, God's word. Is it not ironic Uh, that the wicked seem to have a so-called right to speak whatever lies they wish according to the First Amendment to the Constitution, a right to speak whatever lies they want to speak contrary to what God has said. But Christians who speak the truth about the exclusivity of biblical Christianity, that there's only one way through Jesus Christ and all these other religions or false religions, or to speak the truth about the divine institution of marriage and that all of uh, these encroachments and, and ways to subvert Uh, the divine institution of marriage, whether it be uh, heterosexual immorality, whether it be homosexual immorality, whether it be unbiblical divorce, whether it be uh, same-sex so-called marriage, whether it be transgenderism, uh, whatever it may be that undermines that they have according to our Constitution, they have the right, according to the First Amendment, to say whatever they want. And they have, increasingly, it seems like, the right uh, to squash, to silence, to cancel anyone who would dare disagree with them and say, no, the Bible says this. And so... You know, the question, or not only marriage, let's talk about, uh, likewise, the defense of human life. Uh, you know, the, the pro-abortion uh, segment of society, again, claims a right to be able to, uh, not only to speak uh, in favor of that, but also to act upon it. And again, uh, when we claim the biblical and divine right to say no, that's wicked, it's sinful, it's, it's contrary to what God says, we're the ones that they want to cancel um, because they do not want to hear the truth. The world does not have the right. Let's be clear. The world does not have the right, and all rights come from God, does not have the right to practice false religion, does not have the right uh, to uh, murder unborn children, does not have the right to practice every perversion. They do not have the right to do so, regardless of what the Constitution, the Supreme Court, or the laws of this land may, may teach. They do not have the right to do so. They like to say that they have the right to speak their truth, quote-unquote, their truth. But Christians, they would claim, don't have a right to speak the truth. And if Christians do, as I said, uh, they run the risk of being basically in this world canceled. Uh, Can affect their jobs, can affect their reputations, can affect their relationships, uh, basically put them in a situation totally isolated uh, socially uh, if they speak the truth that comes from God's Word. Well, what are we going to do? We can't bury the truth. We cannot bury the truth. We have a greater right and the only right than any so-called right granted by the First Amendment to the Constitution. We have the right granted to us in which, again, as we evaluate what our duties are and we look at the Ten Commandments, If it is our duty to have no other gods before us but to worship the one true uh, living God, uh, if that's our duty, then we have the right to exercise our duty. If it is, again, our duty uh, to not make images and not to uh, worship God according to our own thoughts and our own imaginations, then we have the right to exercise our duty to do so. If it is our duty to own and to swear biblical covenants, then it is uh, our right to exercise that duty to uphold those covenants. And we can go through the same logic uh, with each of the commandments. Whatever is our duty before God or before our fellow man, we have a divine right to exercise the duties that God has given to us. And that's why the apostles say in Acts 5.29, when they are told not to teach in the name of Christ, not to teach in the name of Christ in Jerusalem, they make it very clear to the to the Sanhedrin uh, that We must obey God. We ought to obey God rather than men because that's from whom our rights come. Civil government, again, was established by God to protect those rights, not to make those rights, those rights that come from God. So that little tangent was simply, again, an application of of the truth and that Jesus says that he always spoke the truth and he always spoke what God had given to him. And it was his, therefore, his divine right to always speak the truth. And just trying to, again, elaborate on that particular point that we also have a divine right, not because we are the Son of God, not because we're God, but because our rights come from God to exercise our rights. We'll stop there. Please stand with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee and praise Thee for thy word sanctifies through thy truth thy word is truth we thank Thee for teaching and instructing us uh, even this evening may we meditate may we reflect upon thy word so that it does not merely pass through um, our natural ears and, uh, and, and is forgotten, but that, Lord, uh, we would, we would uh, meditate upon these, these important truths. And that, Lord, Thou would help us to rejoice um, for our, the commandments that Thou has given to us are not mere duties, but they expose and explain to us what our rights are. We have a right to do whatever Thou has commanded us to do. And so, Lord, uh, help us to look at our duties in, in, in an entirely different way than perhaps we have in the past. Uh, men are always men, women, children. It seems uh, as human beings we are always wanting to, to speak about our rights, my right to do this or my right to do that. But, Lord, what's most important are the rights of God, the rights given to us by God, which, again, are spelled out for us in the duties given to us. So help us to rejoice, Lord, to see these matters even more clearly than we have. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. um, Any questions uh, from the study, Uh, comments, questions from the study uh, this evening? Okay, thank you all for joining us.